Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Randall Stevens, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. You and I have spoken in the past a couple of times, and uh, every time we connect, uh, we are very much aligned with the way we think and the way we we uh, would like for this profession to uh, to to move. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let me introduce you to our listeners. Randall Stevens is an AEC industry veteran with 30 years of software development, sales, and management experience. Randall offers a unique combination of experience in software and graphics technology coupled with a background and degree in architecture. He founded ArcVision in 1991, a software development firm specializing in 3D graphics and content management technology for the design industry. And he's the inventor of the software technology rich photorealistic content, RPC, currently being used by AEC customers in more than 100 countries. Most recently, Randall led product development of the Avail software platform, a fresh approach to the content management challenges most of any architects using BIM are experiencing. Avail is used by many of the world's largest architecture and engineering firms. And today, Randall is CEO of Avail. So Randall, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, before we jump into wherever this conversation leads us, 
I want to know more about you. I'd love to know your origin story. Go back to where you discovered architecture and maybe talk a little bit about who inspired you or what inspired you to follow that path. Sure. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll start with where I am today. Avail uh, and ArcVision are both headquartered in Lexington, Kentucky. So I'm a, I'm a Kentucky native. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains, a, a little town called Pikeville, Kentucky, uh, in the eastern part of the state, borders uh, Virginia and West Virginia. And, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've thought about all, you know, usually look back and try to think about, like, what led you down these paths, got you thinking the way you think, and... So I've done plenty of that ruminating. And, um, you know, I think growing up, it was a great place to grow up. That's what I always tell people because you're the bad part of it is you're isolated, but the good part of it is you're isolated. Right. right. So I, I think, uh, you know, I think I growing, I'm, I'll be 55 years old this year, uh, grew up in the seventies. Um, you know, there was, there were plenty of resources there. It was big, it was cold country. So there was a lot of money. The schools were good. Community was tight. Uh, but just not a lot of people. So I think I kind of grew up, um, uh, you know, with a, my imagination, you know, I, I got to spend plenty of time playing in the woods and, and doing all those things that, that maybe nurtures the imagination. Um, at least that was the case for myself. And then, uh, you know, from an architecture standpoint, I always thought I wanted to be an architect, you know, from the time I was young, I loved to draw, I loved to, you know, I'd see, you know, Growing, you know, it's not a bastion, you know, Kentucky itself is probably not a bastion for architecture, for sure, being in, in the mountains of eastern Kentucky wasn't a bastion. But every time I'd travel and get to travel and see things, my, you know, I would just be like amazed by the buildings I saw. And, and uh, you know, I can remember going to the grocery store with my mom and I'd go straight to the big magazine section and go, you know, architectural digest or anything that had yeah. like house plans or anything like that. I just... Uh, just, you know, growing up, loved that and was always, you know, sketching and, and drawing out, you know, building in my own head, like my, my, my house of the future, you know, kind of grew up thinking like that. So probably, you know. Do you um, remember the, the time or who maybe introduced you to the, to the profession of architecture, like th that you realized, oh, there's a, there's something that I could actually do with those you buildings. Know, you know what? I was actually, uh, the answer is no, but I, what I remember is when I got talked out of it. Um, so, <laughs> so, which maybe, you know, more of people in the profession are like, never don't do it. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't go down on that path. But, you know, the other thing that I was either, you know, I, I'd say blessed, you know, being born when I was born, the, the personal computer, you know, was, was basically born when I was the right age to be, you know, a young teenager and, right. You know, so I, you know, I got into the computing, the computer side as a, as a teenager. And so by the time I graduated high school, you know, which was in 1985, you know, I was thinking I was going to go to school and I wanted to do something around computers and software. The bad part about going to school in 1985 was there usually was no such thing as like computer science that didn't exist. So I, I came to the University of Kentucky to go to school and they put me in electrical engineering because, you know, anytime you said the word computer, you know, you kind of got <laughs> stuffed into a into a degree program. So I started off in electrical engineering. I lasted about three semesters. You know, once you got into circuits and, you know, I went to did all the calculus, and all that. I'm like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. Luckily, the University of Kentucky had has had and continues to have an excellent 
architecture school, now College of Design, but at the time was a five-year architecture program. So I uh, decided like either I'm going to switch my <laughs> degree now uh, and, uh, and, and go into something that's, that's more interesting that I'll stick with, or, uh, or maybe, <laughs> maybe school's not for me. Uh, but anyway, I applied to the architecture. It was a selective degree program got accepted and started that five-year degree program my junior year <laughs> in, you know, my third year basically of school yeah. and uh, accelerated it. You know, it took me about six years total to get out, but um, wouldn't have traded it for anything. I mean, I loved it. Ab- absolutely just fell in love with the making and, and, you know, and then, you know, the story of how I professionally became what I came with became was to combine my interest in the computer computer side of things. When I was in school in the late eighties, you know, 3d graphics was all new. Computing was all new. I took advantage of that while I was in school. I kind of self-taught myself a lot of software that was around that I had access to and, and uh, became the expert. And uh, I graduated in 91, started teaching immediately. So, uh, you know, uh, before, before you get into that, I have, I have questions about that time in college because you and I are around the same age. We went to school around the same time. And so I know in my architecture program, there were computers and there was CAD, but there was like really no computer classes for architects. Exactly. There was four, four computers at the college that were upstairs on the third floor in a room that that the only time people went in there was to play some games on them instead of, you know, <laughs> but I, I taught myself 3D modeling. You know, I was using like AutoCAD at the time to yeah. do, build 3D models from and got into the rendering and visualization side. And then, uh, when Did you I gra- know you were going to do that when you, when you left, um, uh, engineer, uh, electrical engineering and went to architecture, did you think you were going to sort of leave the computers behind and go into architecture and become an architect? Or did you know that this was the plan? I'm going to combine these two things. No, I had no idea. Right. I just knew, I knew that I didn't want to be an electrical engineer by that point. Right. You know, sometimes, right. sometimes that was the next best what option. you're not going to do instead of what you're going to do. Yeah, like, sure. Uh, so that was pretty clear that I, that that wasn't what was floating my boat. Um, I got into the, you know, for me, it was like just the creative outlet and the, in the, you know, the first year architecture school, you know, was all about making. So I was in the shop and making things and, you know, just all those things that kind of scratched that itch. Yeah. And then, um, you know, as I got into probably the second year studios, that's when I discovered that there was this computer lab upstairs. Yeah. I actually, I, I can actually remember uh, that there was one day that I came out into the hall and there was a bunch of people huddled around and there was a person that was probably like an Autodesk reseller person yeah, that yeah. was, that had a computer uh, set up. And I can remember like peering over, you know, around this crowd shoulders and there were four, there was like a, a computer screen with four, you know, the, the typical four divided. Yeah. And it's like, he drew something over here and in this other window, like an elevation, it showed up. And it was just like, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. That's mind all it took. Blown. yeah. 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 It's just like, oh, <laughs> what is that? That's like magic. Right. And yep. uh, so I can, I can actually remember that happening. And then at some point I just began taking advantage of those resources up there. That's the one thing I try to, I try, I actually teach uh, taught for years in the design school. I now teach in the business school, but uh, I always tell students, it's like, man, when you're here at the university, take advantage of, you know, don't just do classes, just like take advantage of that. You've got all these resources over here. And, you know, if you want to spend your time, you know, 
there may not be somebody to teach you, but spend your time and go teach yourself. Right. Yeah. It's easier exactly. than ever now. So, so you, so you, you graduated, you started teaching what, what happened from there? Yeah. So that was the, I graduated the summer, like August of 91. And, um, so I was, uh, you know, they, they wanted me to teach. Uh, so I started teaching, you know, the students that I was, that were my classmates all of a sudden I was their, uh, their computer teacher. <laughs> and, uh, I had started while I was in school. The other thing that happened was, uh, you know, I, I was, I was good at the 3d graphics stuff. I, you know, what started happening was people would call into the school, like professionals around the region would call in there asking if there was anybody that did this. And of course I was like the guy, so they would point them to me. So I actually had a couple of paying jobs, you know, when you're that young, you don't really know what to charge people or even what to ask or how any of that works. But I had done a couple of jobs and gotten paid to do them, you know, 3d, 3d renderings or or things like that. And um, so when I graduated, I was also the last two, two years I was in school. I worked at UPS on a midnight shift. So I I had a job. Uh, So I was, so I graduated in the summer. I was like, I'll start teaching this class. I'll keep my job. And then I'll, I'd actually won this contest and won some software and had a computer and all this stuff. So I'm like, I'll just, I'll just start doing this and see if I can, you know, make a business out of it. So I started a company called ArcVision. Uh, a lot of people know because we eventually got in the software business, but it started as a services company. And uh, so I was out, you know, selling my services and uh, that company actually grew in the early nineties, you know, mainly throughout the Southeast, I'd say were most of our customers, but we were doing basically outsourced graphics rendering work for people. Um, because I was pretty technically minded, actually what became the RPC technology, a lot of people, maybe see and use. If you use Revit and you go in, uh, you know, Autodesk, the tree and foliage solution that ships out of there is, is that RPC technology that we developed. So uh, a lot of people are familiar with it, uh, but it's been around. We launched that technology in 98. Um, and then once I, uh, once I got a taste of uh, making a piece of software and selling it right to different people around the world, it's like I shut down the services business as fast as I could. Yeah. Right? Yeah got out of that business. And so for the last, you know, 23, 24 years, I've been in the software side of the business and industry and uh, what became Avail, uh, which has been now in the market. I can't believe it's been this long, but it's been available for five years now, but we spun, we developed that, started developing it at ArcVision. And then it kind of had its own mission, uh, enough difference that I spun it out into a separate company. And, and uh, I've been running that company ever since. So explain what Avail is and what it does. So Avail, um, we we typically would say we're in the content management business, but I've started trying to use the word information. We kind of interchangeably use the words file equals content equals information equals data equal. You know, it's kind of all the same stuff when you at some point when you start talking about it, it's just semantics. Uh, but we're basically um, helping firms uh, manage and for people at their desk to get back to information, uh, as, as fast as they can. We've, we're trying to come up kind of with a new tagline, but it's like, you know, get to the information you need as fast as humanly possible. And everybody knows in this industry, we are swimming. We, you know, one way to think about the architecture and engineering profession is, you know, firms are services firms, 
The people in those firms are knowledge workers who are getting paid to produce, to take things out of their head and encode them in, in you know, usually some piece of software now and get that in that information into something and then share it. So, you know, when you think of it from that standpoint, it's like that information that we're producing and now produ producing it in volumes that, you know, 10 years ago or, you know, orders of magnitude more of it being produced and shared. Um, Avail is, is trying to solve the problem of, of how, how do we better organize and get back to that information and not just get back to it, but connect it to each other. So we're doing a lot of things around, um, you know, what we call related content, like information is related to each other. So how do we get those systems connected to each other so that related content can be connected to each other? And we, as we do our software development side of it, uh, I started out calling it the butt in the seat. Like we should always develop everything we do from the user backwards. Like what are they trying to do every day and can we solve their problem? Because if we can solve that problem from their vantage point, that's a pretty good place to start, right? To really think about how to solve the problem is. And if you look at today in the industry, um, that person who's sitting there doing design work or, you know, I'm, all, I'm actually just amazed that people can actually even get a building built because it's like, there's so much information that it takes to do that. Uh, and that information is, is far flung, right? It's all over the place. And so what we're trying to do is connect, you know, touch that information and get it connected back in such a way that it's uh, easier for people to put their hands on it and, um, and then share it with each other and, and communicate. So is it is it um, is it much to do with the user interface? Basically, taking the or, the information that's already there, organizing it in a way uh, that's easier to understand, and then putting a layer over the top of it that makes it easier to access what you're looking for quickly. Yeah, it's a really good way to describe it. You know, we're always you know part of our challenge is language, right? That there's not a lot of you know, there's not very clear ways to describe what it is right. that we're doing. So, you know, it's an opportunity and a, and a challenge, right, is uh, that we get to hopefully help plant the seeds of, of how to think about this. One, the, the way that I think about it um, and have been the last few months talking with customers and potential customers about it is, you know, you'll hear a lot of times that people talk about data silos and information silos. And, you know, the context of talking about those is that we have to knock them down. We have to knock down the silos and we have to, you know, get rid of all these, you know, pockets of information that, of where this information and data becomes, you know, I use the word trapped. I think the, the, I think that's a futile uh, conversation to have. I don't think you're never going to get rid of data silos and information silos, just the nature of having, you know, different different applications or different people even working on different aspects of this. It's by nature, it's just going to end up in silos. So what we've, uh, what I've been saying more recently is thinking about how to navigate that information. So I've been starting to use the word navigation. So yeah. the way, the way you're describing it as a layer kind of above that, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, you know, look, you're, you're not, you're not putting that information into a veil, 
even though that might be the words people say, what we're really doing is connecting those silos. So the data wants to live, I like to say it wants to live in certain places for specific kinds of reasons and choices that our customers make. So our goal is to let that live there, but ultimately be able to touch it and, and through Avail's interfaces, see it. So one of the things that we talk about uh, in the way that we describe what we're doing is we're trying to make where information is go away. And a user shouldn't have to know where something is because that's a, you know, I've grown up, as I told you the backstory, I've grown up thinking and understanding networks and all this, yeah. but, but those are also very weird concepts when you really step back and think about it. So if, if you're not inclined to understand that or think about it, and also think I'm probably a very visual thinker, I know I am. So I probably build little pictures in my head about even though these are bits and bytes moving around, they, right. they're almost like places to me in my brain, but that's not necessarily the way everybody else thinks and are able to put those mental pictures together. So a lot of what we are doing with Avail is it is a very visual front end to this info and data because a lot of it is very visual in nature that we work with in this industry. And the idea is that if we connect those different sources if all that can come together into one interface, then really it's just a matter of, is that the interface somebody goes to get the information? Right. Or they, don't have to, they don't have to think about going to some place. Um, so I've, uh, I got, uh, it was a very uh, weird way to describe when we first started working on this, but I used to say, you know, if you step really far back from it, I used to say, look, the, the internet solved one problem. It started connecting information that lives on different websites and servers and places. And we all go to you know, Google or Bing and, and you've got one interface to type in and it'll tell you where to go. Right. And it sends you to that place. Well, I've, I've always thought of this as the next phase, if we're really gonna fix this is you shouldn't have to go to that place. That information should come to you. So I used to say, well, what we really want to do is invert that model. We want, we don't want to send you someplace. I want to bring that information to you. So one way to think about what we're doing with Avail is as we connect to those places, we're bringing that information to you instead of you having to go to it. And, you know, if I, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, you know, that's a, those are like mental gymnastics to think yeah. about how to describe it. But, it, but I do think that that's the big, the big picture problem. And if I want to jump, you know, we can get into this conversation about what the future is. The, the next step is not only will we help you search it and that information's there, but we'll actually start queuing up and bringing the, we'll bring to you the information you need before you even know you need it. Right. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's what gets interesting with machine learning and AI and some of the stuff that's starting to happen is, uh, but you can't do any of that without having the the systems, you know, exactly. connected to each other and the data exactly. in there, then we can start doing things that people will perceive as magical, which yeah. is what all software should be if you're doing it correctly, right? It should be, you should be like my moment in, in Pence Hall lobby when I saw four little, you exactly, know, right. warts. It was like you, it was like magic. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE, the makers of BQE Core, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. 
but you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger, to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit. And when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com masterclass. That's bqe.com masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business, from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them with features like the new digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours per week in the process, 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too. It's almost tax time. With a ton of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand the keys over to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks, try FreshBooks for free. For 30 days, no credit card required. It's free. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect. Freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with your 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered, and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, aka CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned 
to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. Listen and subscribe right now at ArtCat.com slash podcast. That's ArtCat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. We're living in a very interesting time right now. You and I have lived through this evolution. You know, when, when we started, they were still drawing on drafting boards, yep. right? And, and the computer was introduced to the studio and started with one computer in the back of the room with one seat of AutoCAD or whatever they had on it. Maybe not even AutoCAD, probably some other sort of uh, brand of CAD. And it evolved, right? It just kept evolving. It kept growing. Another computer was added to the studio, another computer. Then finally, you know, all this, the drafting boards had computers sitting next to them. And then finally the drafting boards disappeared and the computers were what we used. And it just continues to evolve and evolve and evolve. But because of it being an evolution, there's never been a real intentional design of how the information is managed. It's just, we are where we are because that's the evolution that we've come to. And everybody's struggling with that problem right now, right? That, that yep. BIM uh, has a huge problem. It has tons of information. And, and that information is our files that are all over the place. And, and every office does it differently, right? They manage it differently and they, they organize it differently and they name it differently and everybody does it differently. Um, and so we're at that moment where if we don't fix it, because it's only going to become more, right? The information is only getting more information. The, 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 the drives are getting bigger. The, the capacity is getting bigger. The capabilities are getting bigger and more impressive. It's just more and more information and it's not going to stop. It's only going to continue to grow. And so this is a priority at this moment, right? There, so. ha there has to be something that helps firms manage all this stuff and not allow it. Like you said, it, it, it doesn't, it no longer needs to be where is all that stuff or even how it's organized. If you have a, a, a technology that, that knows what you want and can get it for you and bring it to you, then it doesn't matter where it is or what it's named or what it's called, right? It's just... I want, I need this and the technology brings it to you so you can very quickly use it. Um, yeah. I think the, uh, the, you know, the problem used to just be that we were producing more and more information, but you know, all that was living on your network drive or someplace, right. The where, right. the where was relatively simple. So I think we're in this era now, especially, you know, the cloud, you know, everything's cloud this and cloud that. Well, the way to that cat's not going back in the bag either. Right. It's like, yeah, the um, where information, you know, I like to say wants to live, not has to live, but wants to live is increasing. And that I don't think is going to get any simpler. In fact, I think it's going to explode. If we, th if you think it's confusing now that you've got something in BIM 360 and some stuff's over in OneDrive, but you're working on a joint venture project with somebody that's using Dropbox and you've still got some stuff on your local machine. It's like, okay, those are four or five locations. That's very hard to know where, where is it? Wait till there's 50 or a hundred or right. And that's why, you know, when I talked about that, 
that the internet connected, you know, you can also think about the scale of the problem is also every manufacturer's website that you go to, to get information, product information from, those are just another CMS and another external location where there's information. And then if you, uh, you know, if you have to download something from them because they were going to give you a, a family that you were going to use in your Revit file, now you're downloading that file and now you've got to figure out where you're going to store it. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, but if you think about that, that website is just another content management system that you now have to go and interact with. You've got a, uh, you know, a very, you know, now how many manufacturers websites are out there? There are thousands, tens of thousands. So the scale of the problem is we've got all of this information that's being produced, but it's just not connected. And, and it's relying on the lowest common denominator is a person sitting at their desk trying to put all this back together again. And that's really where we're trying to, you know, we see that as the big problem and where we're trying to, uh, to, 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 to solve some of that problem. It's, it's very complex, as you can imagine, yeah. uh, hard to do, but also think it's, um, you know, it's not like we're going to snap our fingers and solve it all overnight, but we've been making some good headway and starting to get the attention of, you know, we've kind of catered to larger, I think, I think the problem exacerbates itself inside of larger firms. You know, they kind of see that the value of, hey, left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, so we got to make sure that they can all touch. But it, but I think it's it's making its way all the way down to, you know, single single celled sure. organism, right? Yeah. Single person's got the same problem. Right? Yeah, exactly. It it we are we're all dealing with the same issues. It's just a matter of the scale of that problem. Um, Randall, when you think to the future, because I know you do. <laughs> Um, and you imagine what the typical architecture, let's, let's, let's look at sort of a, a, a firm of 50 people. Um, even five years from now, it's going to be very different than it is today, right? With the, with the, the amount of, of progress technology makes in a year. Um, we're not necessarily what technology is going to exist and what's going to, but what does that studio look like and how does it work? You know, sort of describe how a typical architect who's doing a typical building project, what do you imagine that's going to be? Because it's going to be very different than it is today. Yeah, I think I think so. I think uh, I think one of the challenges maybe uh, buried in that is that, you know, the people, you know, and this this is probably always going to be true. The people that know the most about the newest technology are the youngest people because they're yeah. probably, you know, they're the ones that are kind of either grew up with it or, or you know, willing to experiment with it. And as as we we get older, you and I, Mark, it's like a um, little less, you know, I'm not on TikTok. It's like, OK, I, I you know, I'm of the age when Facebook came about. I'm on Facebook and I've got friends that are on Facebook. But, you know, I teach a class where I've got a bunch of 20 year olds. I've got 61 students in my class this semester. And a few weeks ago, I was like, how many of you are on Facebook? One hand went up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, we've got all those challenges. You know, that's that's probably just a, a truism that the younger people probably are more up to speed with the newer technologies. The, but the, the disconnect there is that they don't have the knowledge. The knowledge is with the older you right. know, the people who've been doing it for a while. So a lot of what we've, you know, when we talk about doing with Avail, we also have an eye towards 
this idea, we use the word knowledge capture, that when we yep. talk about this information management, it's really also about knowledge capture and then dissemination ultimately is what we're what That's we're a huge issue in our profession, exactly a, for the reason that you just described, is that there, there's this generation that is as our age and older that have all of this this institutional knowledge of how this profession works and the next generation who is coming in natively with this technology experience but doesn't have access to that knowledge how do we get that knowledge transferred to the next generation without losing it right because yep. that's what has happened traditionally architects retire and that information goes with it and so yep. every architecture generation has to reinvent how they do things you have to you know and I, so i think wrapped into your question about what does it look like five years from now i think that the general trend has got to be that um but we that we have to use the technologies that are available to us to to try to better capture and transfer that knowledge and information so we've been doing some i'll just give you examples we've got uh we in, in uh, instituted in, initiated that was the right word initiated a mobile initiative this past year and you can look at what, you know, a lot of it's like a lot of our customers are using Avail to manage things like drafting view libraries and things like that, uh, you know, as a library system to get back to it. So, uh, but um, I have a friend of mine who's an architect that I went through architecture school with and I, uh, I had a, uh, I had some, uh, so a PDF with some drafting views on it that was a, something that a customer was asking us about and I showed it to him. And he immediately was just looking at the at these actual details, and he just starts rattling off things that I would have no, you know, I've never practiced in my life. He's like telling me why the parapet, you know, if it's if you're building it in this climate, it's probably going to look different, and yada yada yada, right? It's like all this stuff that he's now thirty years in the profession, and he just oozes it. He knows right. it intuitively, knows how to right. Do it. So we've been uh, what I'll tie that back. So we've been working on mobile, and one of the uh, on one of the things that we're gonna that we've started doing some little prototyping for on the mobile device is actually little redlining tools, markup tools. And what I uh, we 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 just said, look, we know people are doing uh, some of this as part of their workflow. Hey, they see a detail, they want to mark it up and pass it back to somebody. You're either doing that in Bluebeam or some you know piece of software that you're mm -hmm. uh, that kind of a workflow. But what I uh, kind of challenged the dev team with was like, you know, first of all don't don't think of just redlining let's back up a step and say this is really like an annotation layer on top of this piece of information or content so in one form it might be you know using a red pen and redlining it but it could just as easily be me you know clicking on it and and recording this audio or right, turning right, a exactly. camera on so my kind of dream is like well, if if my friend Mike was 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 able to just very easily, while he's redlining on it, why can't you just turn on your microphone and or your camera, and we could be capturing his explanation, his teaching, yeah. right? This is you know teachers at heart, right? And I think people like to share information. So if we can make that really easy to begin capturing it, and then that's being you know going into the system, that's that's gold for that next person coming yeah. in that can just say, yeah, I'll spend five minutes uh, listening to you describe why, you know, it's not just move this and do this, but why move this and why is that wrong? So I think, I think the future is probably, you probably never get away from, you know, we've got bright, smart, young people 
and knowledgeable older people. <laughs> the only way you get knowledge is to have done it and and lived it. So the question becomes: Can we can we can we get those merged closer and it not just be these giant gaps in between? Yeah. And I think technology can help facilitate yeah, I that. I agree. And, uh, yeah. So I, I think the technology is the key because because I think that the next generation and I know the next generation that is coming in is intuitively sharing right they've they're sharing from birth on the internet they share everything they're doing at every moment of their life with every friend they have and so they're going to come to the profession with that expectation that they're going to share their knowledge um, and if the knowledge if the technology is there they will be the ones that encourage the older generation to share that knowledge because the technology is there and so i think having that ability that very easy quick like you just described as you're doing the the SketchUp, you literally just push a button, and now this knowledge can be can captured by video or audio. Which, again, intuitive for the next generation, a little less intuitive for the the current generation. Um, but then also to be able to imagine how that accumulates. Right now, that that knowledge starts to become part of the process. That knowledge captures part of our process of architecture, and eventually becomes another layer of information when you go to like you described you go to that detail and now there's a button or something that says click the button and now you have a, a a sketch that comes over the top of that detail and an explanation of what that that sketch meant and at the time and who did it and why he did it and how he did it and exactly. all that information becomes part of that detail which is amazing when you think about that and you know thousands and thousands and thousands of times yeah so the fun thing about building software and technology is just what we described. You know, it's like, if you can think it, you can probably build it. Right. right. So, so that, you know, that's what we're, that's what we get to do every day is like, okay, uh, you know, dream, dream this kind of stuff up. And it's like, uh, you know, there's always little hiccups along the way, but it's like, we can probably, <laughs> the trick is to make it easy. And that's, that's hard uh, making uh, it's usually uh, I like to tell people when something is very easy, that, is usually inversely proportional to how complicated it is behind the scenes. So <laughs> yeah, it's right. usually, it's usually exactly the opposite. The easier yeah. actually you've made it, the more complex because you're hiding that complexity behind the scenes to make yeah. it easy. Uh, Google is a perfect example of that. It's, it's very, super easy on the, on our side. They, they make it look easy, but that's yeah. a, that's a fallacy. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and, and then the inversion, if you open up a piece of software and it's like really complicated, it's like, you know, somebody hasn't done the work to, yeah. to, to design and simplify it. Right. Yeah. Um, It'll be interesting because I think what you just described with that knowledge capture will probably become, like I said, part of the process, right? That it'll be part of avail. It'll be part of monograph. It'll be part of all these different softwares that architects use. Uh, it'll be part of, you know, Archicad or, or, or Revit yep. or whatever we're using at the time. Um, and so it'll it'll just it'll just be this expectation of knowledge capture, um, which I hope that's I hope that's what happens, right? Even yeah. what we're doing over at Gable Media is that we'd love to be able to become that that technology resource that that when somebody wants to create that audio, that we have a way to capture that audio for them in a long format, you know, where the the tools will have short format, but we can have long format. Yep. Yep. All the, the sensors, if you want to back up that far, the, the things that are capturing the information, they'll be plentiful cameras, microphones, right. 
drawing tools. We'll be capturing more and more of the information and data. And then uh, that's the first step, right? Well, we started out, you know, it's like, you got to get this information into the system and then can you build interfaces that have, you got to have good, what we would call structured data around all of that. So that you can do magical things with it. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then all the stuff that's going on now, you know, we're just in the infancy of machine learning and, you know, broader AI type kinds of capabilities, but that all starts with capturing information, getting it into some form that you can begin to do some processing, watch for patterns in, and then the magical stuff starts to kind of come, come, come next, which is okay. You know, I've seen, you know, actually I had this experience last weekend when I get, uh, when I, usually when I leave the office and I go home, I try to, you know, not think about work. So I'll, I'll, uh, turn on the news and I've got a little, I started uh, one of my COVID things was I've started picking the guitar back up. So I've got an electric guitar, bought a little uh, practice amp and I've used a little piece of software on my iPad that's connected to my practice amps and I'll strum you know, guitar for 20 or 30 minutes uh, when I get home. Well then on my, and then I've got this little, I've got different, uh, you know, like little, uh, a little game that I'll play on my iPad. Well, last weekend, I don't, I don't know when it started showing up, but I've noticed it for the first time on my iPad. It has a little, a little window at the top that said, after you've disconnected your spark amp from Bluetooth, you usually, you usually do this, right? Yeah. That's that, which, you know, I came back to the office. I'm like, look, people, this is what we've been talking about because there's tracking your behavior. It's pattern recognition. And we've probably all seen it in the, uh, the first place we probably all saw it was, the, uh, you know, GPS software. So all of our, you know, I have a breakfast group I go to every Saturday. Well, when I get in my car and turn it on, yep. Google maps says you are 17 minutes away from your destination. It knows where I'm going. Cause I've done it right. for the last 17 years. I've gone to the same breakfast group every Saturday. So there's pattern recognition that happens in that. And, you know, this is what computers are good at. We can, you know, if we're capturing that data, you can begin to look for those patterns and then, uh, you know, you can think it's weird, right? Uh, creepy, weird. People use all kinds of terms to start, but at some point, you just expect it. Once, yeah, once it's, it's inevitable, you, <laughs> once yeah. it's helping you, you turn pretty quickly from that. That's weird too. How come this other software is not as smart as that as that piece of software? Yeah, is, right? <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, that, that's part of the evolution of of where we are. That's that's right. That we can't stop that. That's already here and happening. And you may not like it, and and it may be bad. Right. There may be, you know, negative consequences to that. Yeah, uh, there are right. there always are. But it, I think the good usually generally outweighs the the negatives. And we just have to, you know, you embrace the positives and then you figure out how to manage the negatives. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Randall, this has been super interesting and, and we can continue. I could talk to you for hours, uh, but we need to wrap things up here. So I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think along the lines of what we were just talking about, you know, I, I think we've, I think we've probably the last, I'll just say the last 50 years, that's been probably the the advent of the information age we've treated, we treat information as like the gold, I know something you don't, and that's my advantage. And I think that we're coming to the end of that. So along the lines of what we just said, we're going to begin capturing all this. I think, I think if I were going to bet on something, I would bet that speed, right? 
either either doing something way better than everybody else does it, either for a unique customer base, having such experience and knowledge that that nobody else wants to get into it, right, and can't compete, and or speed of what you do with that knowledge, right? Helping a customer get something done faster. I, I think that's a, I told you earlier that we were trying to think of a new tagline. The reason I put faster on the end of it is that never ends. You always want to do it faster. So right. it's a nice mission statement to say, how do we even just get faster? And if you watch companies like Amazon, it's like, you thought three-day delivery was good? Wait till we get it to you in a day. Now it's like, yeah. wait till we get it to you in four hours. Wait right. till I get a drone dropping it on your back porch. And you know, it's like expectation just goes like, okay, how does how do I how do you compete? You compete by um, creating things that's very hard for somebody else to uh, if they haven't invested in those uh, and being able to do that. So I think the I think the firms, you know, have to quit thinking that, Hey, I'm the only one that knows this. It's like, look, everybody's got, everybody's got the same drafting views. Everybody's got the, you know, it's like, that's not what you're going to win on. I think you're going to win on embracing, embracing the technology and trying to move faster, uh, be more efficient. It's just going to be the the barrier to entry to the game, I think in the future. So. His name is Randall Stevens. The company is avail. You can learn all about avail and connect with Randall at get avail.com. We'll have links to that on the show notes. Randall, I always enjoy speaking with you. I'm looking forward to speaking with you again in the future because I'd love to have you come back and talk more about this stuff. Any um, anytime. <laughs> it is it is it. super interesting to me. I love thinking about the future and and where we are today and how we get to that future. And so it's uh, it's always interesting to have a conversation with you. So I appreciate you for what you're doing at Avail. Uh, and for coming by here and sharing a little bit about you and what you do and uh, and for the work that you you do. I appreciate you for coming by Entree Architect Podcast today. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it share, write a review. I'd love it. And share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there, entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you 
in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. EntreeArchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.